To our true crime podcast, Don't Blame the Mom. Hi, I'm Kate. I'm Hannah. And we are back this week for episode 33. Yay! Yay! Woohoo! So, hope you're all doing well, guys. It's been a, a long week and uh, lovely to see you again, Irish, as always. Thank you. Always a pleasure, never a chore. I, I totally agree. Well, sometimes it is a chore, not gonna lie, but. I also uh... agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> but I've made myself right at home. We are actually recording. In Irish's apartment again, aren't we? Mm-hmm. And I've made myself right at home. I even came with a new pair of slippers to make myself extra specially comfortable, which I'm wearing right now. And uh, I might even leave here just to just to put my stamp on the place. I know. I was wondering if they were going to be finding a home here. I, they may well do. Hilarious. Funny we just eat them otherwise. So, you know, <laughs> it's every man for himself, every slipper for himself in my house, I tell you, <laughs> honestly. So how's your week been? Um, Good. I think we should tell them what we did this week. Oh my gosh, yes, how exciting. Go on. We tell. had do tell. our do tell. <laughs> we had our first interview with another podcast. Yeah. So the lovely Kathy Barron from Women Who Sarcast. Yeah. So she is incredible. She is from LA. California. Well, she's not from LA, but she lives in LA. Calif- what, California. California. Yeah. Which is pretty big. So yeah. She's, uh, she's she's awesome, actually. It was so nice to talk to her. We talked for like an hour and 20 minutes. It just flew past. It really did. She's so, so fun. much fun. She's so funny. Really made me feel so comfortable. So yeah. at home. Really um, good interviewer as well. Is that a word? Interviewer? Yeah, yeah I guess. Really good. Um, really good questions. It was really interesting. And also her podcast called women who sarcast and like just just the right amount of sarcasm which we love obviously being british we we appreciate dry sarcastic humor i am irish please don't confuse people it's confusing (laughs) enough as it is okay well i have warned everyone if if you have listened to previous episodes that geography is absolutely not something that is in my my repertoire my my skill set that's for sure like I said I can just about find my way here and I only live like 20 minutes away so there we go (laughs) but that uh, episode is going to be out well hopefully you will have heard it by now guys but if you haven't already it's going to be out before this episode airs yes so I think it's like last week it will have come out. So last so, Monday. So yeah. October the 2nd, Women Who Saw Our Cast by Kathy Barron with your hosts, Hannah and Kate. Yes, she, uh, she like I said, asked some really nice questions, really cool questions, asked us a lot about our podcast and um, how we'll, we came to, you know, be interested in true crime. Yeah, we'll put some links on our stories over the next, over like the coming weeks and stuff anyway. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you check can it go out. and check her out and check out her podcast as well because she is really funny. She's awesome. Um, she does these really cool little shorts that I absolutely love love as well just lots of sarcasm yeah. but really like intelligent stuff and that really get, oh, gets you thinking great. and very well researched you know she definitely knows her stuff and she sort of researched everything and came with a, with a plethora of questions for us yeah kind of like you know how was your psyches <laughs> <laughs> how do you sleep at night like what well, got you to true crime and I was like well besides the person I murdered um <laughs> no I'm kidding I didn't really <laughs> anyway don't give away any of the questions go and listen well, I know because I didn't really say that I swear guys because I actually haven't murdered anyone so uh, well no one's pissed me off enough yet so there we go um not yet <laughs> not exactly yet. so it's a friday evening we're just uh enjoying a cheeky little one drink because i'm i'm a, i'm gonna be good tonight because i'm going to oktoberfest tomorrow oh yeah yep so i will be yodeloodling yodeloodling all over the gaff um no i won't really but there's gonna be like an oompa band oompa band 
You know, like the brass band that has all like the oh, cool. pop music. I have to dress like a Bavarian beer girl. Um, the guys have to wear lederhosen. Lederhosen. <laughs> it's going to be like the sound of music all over again. So excited. And you get a free German beer when you come into the place. So that's what I'm going for, guys. Oh my gosh, do you even like beer? No, I don't. <laughs> not, not even a little but bit. But if it's free. Not even a little bit, but you know, I just, I'm just going for the whole vibe, you know. And mm. they have like really nice like German, um, like hot dog stands and schnitzel. everything. Schnitzel. Oh no, I don't like schnitzel. I like the, like, you know, the German hot dogs with like the mustard and everything. Like what? Uh, Bravest. Oh, bra- yeah, yeah, yeah. Or is yeah. that South African? They call it that in South Africa. I remember that. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, it's going to be really fun. So I'm going to save my myself for that. But yes, I'm sure I'll post some pictures of me looking ridiculous in my in my Oktoberfest outfit. Absolutely. We cannot wait to see it. Yeah. I actually did an Oktoberfest in Switzerland. Oh, so you went the whole hog. You actually went to a really cool place to do it. Yeah. I'm just going down the road from the house. Yeah, it mm. was really cool. It I was need to really branch cool out. Fun. I know. Had I been invited, I would have come with you. Uh, you were invited, uh, weren't you? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> you would have said that you can't come because you're working the next day. Probably. Saturdays yeah. are always a no-no for That's you. That's true. In fact, yeah. I'm looking after the dog. Oh, yes. You're, she's looking after my sister Katie's little dog, Elvis. Who's, Puppy. Good luck with that because he's in a bit of an ankle-bitey phase. I know. Yeah. Well, not even a little bit, like a big ankle-bitey phase. He, we should change the name to Jaws. Oh, cute. I like that. <laughs> He's really cute, but he met Buddy the other day. And, like, obviously, Elvis is just a puppy and Buddy's, like, almost 12. So Buddy's in, like, the grumpy old man phase. And Elvis was just, like, jumping at his head and just kept jumping on him. So Buddy's, like, like trying to sort of get you know, away walk, from me get off my head you know kind of thing so katie was like oh my god is he gonna be all right i was like yes he's just like the annoying little cousin that you know <laughs> once he has some spatial awareness they'll be fine once we got walking on the leads together though it's fine once buddy knew he was in control and in charge he was trotting along happily yeah and buddy doesn't really need a lead does he he's like no very... he's such a stalker of mine like i can literally <laughs> walk him around for hours and he won't leave my side because he just is obsessed god knows why but you know it it saves it saves me having to carry a lead around so i can't complain too much um so do we have any dbm of don't blame us no we don't still but um like i said feel free to send any guys we're always open to it but um yeah until maybe next week maybe we'll have one then Um, well alas for now let's hope not i I enjoy being blameless it's it's my fun fun situation for me oh well long may it last (laughs) (laughs) um i think i suppose one thing we do need to say is uh, we actually this week have had some nice reviews on i think specifically spotify yeah i don't know if spotify have done a new like if something is updated or they've put in a new kind of yeah it comes up as a q a and it said someone's answered the q a and they gave us a really lovely review they said i like they like our accents and that we were funny yeah i was like oh my god best compliment ever (laughs) so i think she's talking about just me though not you sorry (laughs) clearly um so yeah no so that was really lovely and it was as you say it was a really nice review um Mm. so please keep them coming uh preferably nice ones um but yeah we we really appreciate it because as we said everything like that does help us gain a bit of traction and that's what we're looking for at the end of the day exactly guys so without much further ado i think we shall launch straight into the episode that we're going to be covering this week but firstly we're going to start with a big fat red sparkly trigger warning oh fabulous yeah well i thought i'd dress it up a little bit you know so it doesn't sound so scary <laughs> yeah good job I, th- yeah. I feel like you've done it well thanks, thanks um and as always all of our resources and stuff will be on our show notes yes exactly <laughs> without further ado without hannah without further ado 
So during the 1970s, South Asia was a mecca for young Western tourists. Many traveled there for a form of alternative tourism and joined the hippie trail to experience the beautiful beaches and cheaper lifestyle that it had to offer. But sadly, for some of these starry-eyed young backpackers, they were about to experience the dark side of hippie culture. Because these stunning destinations were also the playground of thief, fraudster, and serial killer Charles Sabraj. Described as handsome, charming, and utterly without scruple, Sabraj, along with his accomplices, including girlfriend Marie, used this charm to trick travelers into believing he was a gemstone dealer or drug dealer, gaining their trust and befriending them. And tragically, this led to many being robbed, poisoned, strangled, drowned, and even burnt. It is thought that he murdered at least 20 tourists, including 14 in Thailand alone. He was sometimes referred to as a bikini killer due to several victims being found in swimwear. However, the name he is most well known for is the serpent, for his snake-like ability to slip through the arms of the law time and time again. Finally, after zigzagging around different countries in order to avoid authorities, this cold-blooded killer was finally cornered, charged and sent to prison in India and then Nepal. His cunning exploits and crimes elevated him to a type of celebrity status, which he was known to revel in and enjoy. He's been the subject of four biographies, three documentaries, a Bollywood film, and the 2021 eight-part BBC series, The Serpent, which is now available on Netflix, by the way. Check it out. (laughs) Another sponsorship from Netflix. (laughs) There we go. So this episode, episode 33, is the infamous case of Charles Sabraj, The Serpent. So Charles Sabraj was born on the 6th of April 1944 in Saigon in Vietnam. Now at the time this was under French rule and he was therefore later able to claim French citizenship. His father was an Indian businessman and his mother was a Vietnamese shop assistant. He had an older sister Lucienne who had the same heritage. His parents were not married, and according to Charles, his parents were from a different social class, and his father's parents would not let him marry his mother. His father abandoned the family when Charles was young, and he also made claims that he did not believe that Charles was his child. This understandably left a young child's feeling rejected and alone. Charles's mother did go on to marry a French army lieutenant who was stationed in Saigon. Charles was not very happy about the new man in his mother's life, especially as they went on to have children of their own. Charles felt he was neglected and that their children together were more of a priority, certainly over him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hannah says, actually speaking from oh, experience. Yeah. I'm like, yep, I know them well. Middle child syndrome, family. yeah. Oh yeah, middle child syndrome. It's a real thing, guys. <laughs> speaking... It takes one to know one, all right? (laughs) (laughs) Due to his mother's new husband's job, the family moved between France and Indochina frequently, with Charles claiming never to have felt like he truly belonged to either country. Charles was displaying personality disorders from a young age and as a teenager began partaking in petty crime offences. He was found guilty of burglary in 1963 for a stolen cheque and a stolen car. He served a three-year sentence in Poissy Prison in West in the western suburbs of Paris. Ooh, love Paris. <laughs> I bet you wouldn't like being in prison in Paris. No, I, I definitely wouldn't like that. Here he developed and honed his craft of manipulation and deceit. He charmed the prison guards into allowing him special privileges, 
such as keeping books in his prison cell, which was not allowed by any other inmates. He also met Felix de Escondio. Now, listen, I can't even cope with myself. Kate gets a bit of anxiety I when really she do. knows that she has to read out names, guys. So bear with her because I don't know why, but you always seem to land up with having to read out all the really complex names. And it, you, I feel like it used to be you, and now it's now, me. Yeah. So apologies. We'll have to we'll have to work on that. So I'm yeah. going to try that again. He, here, he also met Felix. <laughs> no, you're right. I actually do get anxiety. <laughs> de Escogne. Sure. Okay, sure. let's call him Felix. Okay. He was a young and wealthy man who volunteered his time at the prison working with the prisoners. Charles developed a strong friendship with Felix, so much so that when he was released, he went to live with Felix in his Paris home. So with Felix, Charles would mingle with high, the high society of Paris while simultaneously developing ties with the criminal underworld. Charles was still committing crimes and he continued to burgle people. But he had also progressed onto scamming and conning people out of their money and possessions. It was at this time in Paris that he met local woman and his future wife, Chantelle Compagnon. But it was, a tr- it was trouble from the start. On the very day that he proposed to Chantelle, he, were, he was arrested for trying to evade police in a stolen vehicle. He served eight months prison time for this crime. But Chantelle stood by him and they were married on his release. She also became involved with Charles' criminal scams and cons and they both fled France in 1970 in order to avoid arrest and made their way through Eastern Europe using fake passports and robbing unsuspecting tourists all the way to Asia. Robbing tourists was become part of Charles' MO. Chantelle was pregnant at this time with the couple's baby girl, I think it's Usha. Okay. Um, Usha was born in Bombay, India in 1970 and Chantelle wished to leave their criminal past behind them once they had the baby. Meanwhile, Charles was just getting started. He was running a car theft and smuggling operation, which he was using to fund a growing gambling addiction. From here, Charles, his wife and his child set out to Kabul in Afghanistan. Now, this fella, you will learn, moves around a lot. Oh so my God. It is confusing. And yeah. just, I mean, I don't, don't focus overly on it because we're going to be telling you he was here, he was there, he was everywhere. Yeah. So just listen and let it flow because there's no point in trying to follow. It's too difficult. <laughs> I don't even know why we're wasting our time. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, guys? Just, just turn it off. Don't worry. We'll, we'll see you next week. <laughs> For part two, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so they're now in Kabul in Afghanistan. There they followed what was known as the hippie trail to Kabul, um, using the same MO of meeting young tourists and robbing them of their money and their valuables. The pair were apprehended for theft in Kabul, where they were both sent to an Afghan prison, where their daughter, and then of course their daughter who was with them, was sent back to Paris to live with her grandparents. Charles used a ruse, faking an illness, to be brought to the hospital where he would make his escape. Once at the hospital, he asked the doctor for Valium to help him sleep through and manage the pain. He started hoarding the tablets and one day when the guards were making tea, he added the Valium to the boiling water. The guards drank it. Within minutes, they had all fallen asleep and he made his escape. 
walking Classic. through the hospital dressed in a woman's burqa. Really? Yeah. So we just walked straight out the door. Pretty sneaky. He is so sneaky. He is the, he is like the serpent. He's slippery AF, this guy. He really... If he, if he was in Harry Potter and they put the sorting hat on his head, he would definitely be in... Slytherin! Slytherin, yeah. <laughs> You'd be in... Um, I think you'd be in Ravenclaw. Why? I don't know. I just feel like you're quite noble, and I feel like I feel like Ravenclaw people are. I'd be in Hufflepuff for sure. Is that because you're so intelligent? No, Hufflepuff is kind of like the you know bit dozy and a bit scatty. Oh, is that where Luna is? Yes. Oh Luna yeah, Lovegood. Yeah. Yeah, I you'd. Think, fit. I think so. Anyway, you'd fit right in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of us would be in Gryffindor, Soz. Oh, <laughs> I want to be a Gryffindor. <laughs> Um, anyway, so he went back to France and took his daughter from his mother-in-law uh, after he escaped. Sorry. So, and he then he started heading back towards Iran. Charles continued with the tourist route alone in pa- Pakistan, but soon recruited what he referred to as young hippie girls to help him. He would have the girls befriend tourists, drug their drinks with sleeping tablets and rob them of their valuables, money and passports. He would hold the passports and money for these hip for these hippie girls that were with him so that they could not leave him either. Mm. So he was kind of trapping them into this life with him. It was at this time that he allegedly murdered a taxi driver in Pakistan. He stole the taxi, putting the driver in the trunk. He then injected him with heroin, which one of the girls was using, and he died of an over of an overdose oh. in the back of the car. Charles alleges that the taxi driver died by accident and that it was not, in fact, a murder. But, I mean, he says a lot of this and you will hear this repeatedly over and over and over. denial, denial. Um, So it was not long after that, in 1972, he was arrested for theft in Tehran and his daughter was sent back to Paris to his in-laws. He served six months prison time in Tehran. During this time, his wife had been released from prison in Kabul and had moved with an American to the U.S., Charles continued to flit from Asia to Eastern Europe to evade arrest, eventually enticing his younger half-brother Andre to join him. Together, the brothers committed robberies across Greece and Turkey, finally being apprehended in Athens and Greece. Charles managed to escape, but his brother Andre was caught and served an 18-year prison sentence for fraud. Awful, right? Yeah. In 1975, Charles meets Marie-André Leclerc. She was born in Quebec in 1947 and was traveling in India with her boyfriend at the time. Charles pursued Marie-André, and I'm actually just going to call her Marie from now on. But he pursued Marie relentlessly and it worked because three months later, she had left her boyfriend and had followed Charles to Bangkok in Thailand, where he would pose as a gem dealer. It seemed that this was when things really started to take a turn for the worst. Charles recruits Marie into his schemes and she would spend the next two years posing as his wife under a new alias, Monique, and he under the alias, Alain Gautier. They would work together as a team, befriending and tricking poor, unsuspecting tourists as a rich gem dealer and his wife. They would drug and rob their victims. He would use a tranquilizer called, I think I pronounce this, Mogadon, Mm -hmm. to drug his victims. Now, this is a very powerful, and it uses 
if used in a certain dosage, it can actually be used to manipulate a person, making them more likely to comply. Wow. So it's one of those really scary drugs that you hear about sometimes. Yeah. Um, so during this, per- this period of time, the person will appear normal, but afterwards they actually won't remember anything that's happened to them. So another con was to poison and cure victims to gain their trust and then use them to help in their schemes. And sometimes Charles was even killing their victims. One constant con was using their victims' passports to travel across Asia and Europe undetected and showing no record of them ever having been there. That's crazy. So Sabraj now had this new idea that he really wanted to build on, this new way in which he believed he could make quick, easy money just in abundance all the time. His ploy, along with his trusty, devoted follower, Marie, was to pose as a successful, wealthy gem salesman. Well, sometimes he'd pose as a drug dealer to impress and befriend these tourists who were there to join the hippie trail, and then he intended to defraud them and, and even more. Now, I want to talk a bit about the hippie trail so we can understand the type of people that Sabraj was preying on and surrounding himself with in order to con them and take advantage of their open friendliness and and their trusting ways. The hippie trail is the name given to an overland journey taken by members of the hippie subculture and others from the 1950s through to the 1970s. So this involved traveling from Europe and West Asia through parts of South Asia, such as India, Nepal, and of course, Thailand. So these hippies, also referred to as backpackers, were young, happy-go-lucky, trusting people, just looking for adventure, making friends along the way as they fulfilled their traveling dreams. Sabraj used their trusting ways to take advantage of them and steal and just rinse them of everything he possibly could. He was a very evil, calculating, but very intelligent man. Yeah, he, I mean, as much as you don't want to admit it. No. He absolutely was all of those things. He was, and, and you know, which is unfortunate for all the people that he crossed paths with. Yeah, for sure. His idea was once meeting these young travelers, he could steal their passports, their cash, and any other valuables valuables he considered to be of monetary value and once ingratiating himself in the hippie culture he quickly gathered followers just by gaining their loyalty now don't forget this man was known to just ooze charm he was smooth he was charismatic um he was he was um you know considered to be very good looking by everybody who met him Mm. so meeting someone like this whilst exploring the world and wanting to experience new things and new places, you can just see how young people just got sucked in by him. And it would have been exciting. Of Because he's posing as being very wealthy. Yeah, and I, I feel like when you're on holiday or when you're in a sort of, you know, beautiful place and you're traveling, you kind of have a bit of a false sense of security. Yeah, I you think know? you've mentioned that before and yeah. it is so true that, and especially in that kind of community where really probably a lot of the time people were looking out for each other. Exactly, they, they had this whole community going on and yeah. he just wanted to infiltrate it and, and start to control it. So a typical scam was to act like he was helping his target out of difficult situations. He drugged and robbed two young Australians who'd been traveling through Thailand. With the help of Marie, he spiked their coconut milk, then robbed them and then they fled. And he was just happy that Marie was willing to do whatever he asked just to please him. She was an obedient and devoted follower. Marie was proving to be exactly what he had wanted to mould her into. 
shortly after this, he helped two former French policemen, Yannick and Jacques, recover their missing passports they were searching for, even though Sabraj had actually stolen those passports himself. He's such a cheeky little bugger, he isn't absolutely he? absolutely is. And these were policemen as well, and they didn't have a clue. They did not clock onto this at all. <laughs> so Dominique, in another scheme... Um, well, in another scheme, Sabraj met a young French man he had met in a cafe in northern Thailand named Dominique Renalou. Straight away, he zoned in on Dominique as his next target. The couple invited him for dinner, and the next thing he knew, he wakes up two days later, confused, seriously sick, and he was somehow now in Bangkok. So Dominique said in an interview years later, spoiler alert, he survives by the way, quote, I woke up two days later feeling terrible and I was suddenly in Bangkok. I stayed at an apartment that they gave me for three months and saw people arriving and then just disappearing. I knew I had to get out of there and fortunately I luckily did. I didn't realise he was with them for such a short for so long, period. They kept him well, I just thought for... he was with them for much longer. Like yeah. all the stuff that happens which you are going to tell us yeah. now. It just feels like it should be a such much it longer does, time frame. I feel like if you look at the times it's like 75 to 76. He It does happen quick. It's a very in very quick succession. He he escalates from from, you know, drugging, robbing to killing and then it happens fast. Yeah, you're you right. Know, he doesn't have a very long cooling off period, I suppose, cuz he wanted to make money as quickly as possible. Yeah. And they were just a means to an end. Absolutely. Kill he didn't people, care. take the money fast as he can. Yeah, no thing. moral compass whatsoever. None at all. The apartment where they kept him drugged and lethargic was used for parties and to lure all the backpackers and hippies over to party, smoke some drugs, you know, uh, have drinks and just have fun so he could lure them further into his web of deceit. Sabraj drugged Dominique with the intention of robbing him and using his passport to gain access fraudulently into other countries. Also, he'd use them to enter casinos because he was now banned from a lot of them, as you know, we'll mention later. So he continued to talk this trusting young man into believing he had just picked up a traveling sickness and was actually suffering from dysentery. And that's why he was so sick. And, and of course, Dominique kind of went along with this because he, he trusted Charles. Sabraj allowed him to stay in his apartment whilst he recovers um, from this sudden illness. And it was all an act, like he was looking after him, he was helping him. And so Dominique was really- Grateful. Really grateful and like really appreciative. And it just made him- And you him, would be, like away from home, yeah. you're not well, you're in feeling rubbish. Of course. And then somebody's going, stay in my apartment for free. Yeah, exactly, so he was- Just help just, around the house. Exactly, so he totally kind of like fed, fell into that sort of trap. and really trusted and looked up to Charles and kind of relied on him at this point because he had to, he was so ill. And Dominic believed this for ages, actually. He continued to stay really sick, really weak. He was always confused and he was basically helpless and he was in agony every single day, apparently. Oh God, that's mm. awful. Marie aided Charles in keeping Dominique sick so he would do anything for them. And unfortunately, for a long time, Dominique didn't realise he was at the mercy of evil Sabraj. In fact, little did Dominique know, Sabraj had actually been poisoning him all along. That was why, no matter what he did, he wasn't going to get better. This was a pattern we'll continue to see from Sabraj, reducing his targets to weak and confused states so he could steal from them with impunity. <laughs> you love it when I throw that word I out there, don't you? I do love it when you throw that word out there. <laughs> his targets were predominantly European and North American travellers backpacking through Asia. Dominique notices several travellers turning up for parties and suddenly they'd just disappear, which would be odd. 
because they you know their belongings would still be there and things like that but at the time he assumed they'd gone off on their travel somewhere uh, without saying goodbye to their friends but he did think that's a bit strange but you know each their own but as his mysterious illness continued he had to just concentrate on battling it and just staying alive in the meantime whilst living in this apartment under Sabraj's watchful eye now it was around this time that Sabraj met another man by the name of A.J. Chowdhury in a new Delhi park in 1975. He was a young Indian man who also had a criminal background. Upon meeting him, Sabraj instantly saw in him someone he thought he could recruit as another follower who could help him carry out his dirty work. And he was right. He started by offering him a job as a handyman, and that quickly led into him being drawn into Sabraj's web of crimes. AJ instantly became a devoted follower and quickly became Sabraj's second in command. Together with cunning Sabraj at the helm, the two conmen were about to take their crimes of drugging and robbing tourists to the next level. Firstly, AJ would help lure them into their parties and to their circle. And then Sabraj, who was the brains behind it, would spike the drinks of these unsuspecting victims. And in that very year, 1975, they were about to commit their first known murder. Around this time, Sabraj was in negotiations to lease a building nearby that he wanted to convert into a gem business. But in order to do that, he would need $25,000 by January the 1st. So basically he's got six months to get this cash or it was a no deal. He was gonna lose the place. Okay. But he owed hundreds of thousands of dollars to casinos and many other people because he was defrauding people in all different countries. That's why he was banned from a lot of them actually as well. So his cunning mind, he thought he needs to do something drastic to make that money and fast. And he was starting to get really desperate. So. Teresa Knowlton was born February 18th, 1954 in San Pedro, California. She was the daughter of Robert and Loretta Knowlton and had two brothers, Robert and Ronald, and sister Yolanda. As a 21-year-old woman, she was based in Seattle and in October of 1975, she set off on her travels. October of 1975. Yeah. So she came to Bangkok looking for enlightenment and marveled at the beauty of the body Buddhist monasteries throughout the region. So Teresa was on her way to Kathmandu, where she planned to study Tibetan Buddhism at Quran Monastery. But sadly for her, this was not to be. As fate would have it, she was actually going to fall into the depraved clutches of the elusive Sabraj and become the first known victim of this soon-to-be serial killer. Now, there are differing sources of how her path came to cross with his, but the most accepted account is that Sabraj knew that she was going to check into the Hotel Malaysia, so he was kind of expecting her. He sent his accomplice, AJ, to captivate her with talk of gems and wealth, and she would later join him for a weekend at Pattaya, where Sabraj lived. So she was enamored with the charming, handsome Sabraj as soon as she met him. And while being served drinks at one of their wild parties in Sabraj's apartment, she was drugged, stripped and dressed in a flowery bikini. It's very strange, but this was likely to stage the scene when her body would be later found in water to make it look like it was a drowning accident. Hence why they put her in a swimwear. They then put the now drugged Teresa into the car and they drove off. Stopping at Pattaya Beach, Sabraj tells AJ to take her for a swim. Oh, God. I know. AJ then carries her out to an embankment, swims out into the water with her unconscious in his arms, and then when he returns, he's alone. 
So now one of AJ's roles was to help dispose of the victim's bodies that had been killed by his new boss, Sabraj, and he's completely complicit in these crimes. So five days later, um, October 18th, a farmer tragically discovers Teresa. She's found dead, floating face down in a tidal pool in the Gulf of Thailand, wearing the floral bikini. Years down the line, Sabraj would actually talk about this and he said, I killed her because she was transporting drugs. So he claimed Teresa was smuggling heroin for money. But let's remember, this is a compulsive liar and, and, a, and he's a narcissist. And That seems unlikely. It completely, like, he's she's just only just to, come over there in October. Yeah. How has she gotten so he's far into a drug ex- situation that she's right. now smuggling it? Exactly. He's trying to uh, make excuses as for why he took the life of a, of a young a young girl and there's, there's no excuse you know and, and, and it was a lie so that very very likely that he's lying and he's just trying to condone it basically and even if she was a heroin you know pusher or whatever it would still be no excuse but she, but she wasn't he, he's just a liar so <laughs> she's just a liar okay <laughs> that's that <laughs> the end <laughs> so on discovery of Teresa's body authorities initially put her death down to drowning due to a swimming accident but months later, after carrying out a post-mortem, as well as gathering forensic evidence, they deduced that Teresa had been murdered. It was clear that someone had held her head underwater until she drowned. Authorities don't have any idea who her killer is yet. It won't be until he kills another young woman who will be found floating dead in a bikini that a connection will be made by the mainstream media and the public. Now the person responsible for these murders would be given the name The Bikini Killer. So the next known victim was a young Turkish man named Vitali Hakim. Now, Hakim had a girlfriend and a child, and he kept in regular contact with his family via letters and so on. So on the 29th of November, 1975, Hakim was found dead and lying in a ditch on the side of the road to Patia Resort, which was where Charles and his family were staying at the time. Mm. So he was found to have a broken neck, and his body had been covered in gasoline and set alight. So when he had not contacted his girlfriend, she was extremely concerned, knowing that this was very out of character for Hakim. So Hakim had been involved in the drug underworld, And it is believed that Charles stole money and valuables from him. So Charles and Marie went to Hong Kong with the idea with, well, it was Charles's idea, but the idea was to gamble the money that he had stolen Mm. from numerous different victims. And the the aim was to go win big with this money and then start purchasing more gems and use it to buy that. Gem building. The building, yeah, that he wanted to use. Um, but of course, because he was being banned from all the different casinos, oh, yes. he was struggling. He wasn't being let in. He wasn't being allowed to gamble. It was, it was causing massive problems. And I think he actually ended up losing a lot of that money in a card game while he was out there. Schmuck. So, mm. <laughs> so while they're out there, Charles and Marie meet Dutch students, 29-year-old Henricus Betania and his fiancée, 25-year-old Cornelia Hemker. So this is all while they were in Hong Kong. So Charles is still posing as Alain Gautier, the gem dealer, and Marie as Monique. 
So Charles immediately marks them as his next target and gets Marie to cozy up to them and make friends with them and, you know, make them think, oh, we found, yeah, two lovely new friends. So they entice the couple with purchasing gems for them at a discounted rate and invite them to come and stay with them in Bangkok. Once they arrive, Marie starts the con. So she poisons their drinks and the couple become really unwell. So they tell them that they have a serious case of dysentery. So dysentery is an infection of the intestines and it would be really Ooh. painful. Yeah. Um, it would like ha- cause like blood in the stool yeah. and, you know, really bad tummy pr- um, cramps and things. And yeah. that is what AJ, not AJ, sorry, what um, Dominique, Dominique was, that's what he was suffering from, those yeah. pains as well. So Charles and Marie do the same ploy. They nurse them back to help gain their trust. And while all this is going on, the girlfriend of Akeem shows up at the last known whereabouts of Akeem, the apartment where Charles and Marie live. So Sabraj may have thought that after killing Vitali, no one would be able to trace the young man's disappearance back to him. However, he hadn't counted on Charmaine Caro. Vitali's fiance suddenly appearing on his doorstep at his resort. She had obtained Sabraj's address from the hotel Vitali had stayed at after she hadn't heard from him in weeks, and she was concerned by this, so she went looking for answers, as you would. The hotel told her he'd moved in with a man named Alain Gaultier, of course, an alias for your man. Sabrage. <laughs> yeah. When she turns up looking for answers and, you know, wanted to know where he was, who'd seen him last and just where, where she could find him, etc. So now Sabrage was anxious because this was not part of his plan. And he's worried that she may discover what they had done to her fiance and, he, and she'd alert the authorities. So he and AJ decided to swiftly deal with the problem as they now saw her. They knew it was time to dispose of her. Sadly, on December 15th, 1975, Charmaine's body was found. She'd also been drowned, much like Teresa Knowlton had earlier that year. And this is where we start to see connections being made between the two murders by the alarmed public and, and like the media as well. They picked on it quicker than authorities did, which I find quite strange. Yeah, well, so, isn't it that like the authorities were kind of lax when it came to tourists and stuff disappearing. Yeah, because they didn't really keep track on everyone and stuff. So two young women, obviously, with their whole lives ahead of them, are both suddenly found drowned in the water. So clearly something was not quite right here, whether they sort of don't pay attention to travellers or not. So something was up. So this unexpected encounter with a victim's worried fiancé really unsettled Sabraj, and he realised he needed to make sure in the future he tied up all loose ends, which meant he needed to get rid of anyone likely to question his actions and ask anything about the people he'd befriended who were disappearing or turning up dead. So now he decided that the next problem he had to take care of was the severely sick couple Hank and Henke and Cornelia, so he and AJ went to the apartment where the couple were, quickly jostled them out by, and um, just jostled them out the door. No one else in the apartment who saw this thought anything of it, and they didn't ask any questions about seeing them being taken out at this point. AJ and Charles drive the weak, sickly couple to Pattaya and stop the car on a remote part of a highway. It's pitch black as together they drag the couple out and start viciously beating them. 
To make sure they didn't leave either of them alive, they also strangled them until the last breath left their bodies. And then, it's the worst part, they grabbed the petrol cans from the boot of the car, pour it all over the couple, and then set them on fire. It's just absolutely hideous. It's so disgusting. It's so, it's it's just too it's, much. It's, it's so cruel. It's so cruel. Their bodies were discovered on December 16th. So now within a couple of days, three bodies of three murdered travellers had been found. On December 18th, the day that the bodies Hank and Cornelia were identified, Charles and Marie were already out of the country and had entered Nepal using the murdered couple's passports. Meanwhile, back in his apartment in Thailand, the three Frenchmen, Dominique, Yannick and Jacques, had a realisation. So Dominique's there, but there's some other uh, Frenchmen who um, also had become his followers. They, they lived in the apartment, you know, came and went. And they'd also been sick at some point as well, but they were all sort of inhabiting that apartment they'd all been systematically poisoned by charles so he could have just you know he was grooming them and molding them into his obedient followers so he thought but now they suspected that charles was responsible for the deaths of these tourists who'd all been seen with him and at that apartment and they'd seen them all like alive Mm. and now they know that they're all dead so they knew that this successful charming man that they followed and looked up to was very likely a cold-blooded serial killer but they're still living under his roof and they have no access to their passports, which he had now locked away in his safe. That is that is one of the most terrifying things. Like you're away in a country where you yeah. don't speak the language. Yeah. So trying to explain that to the police. Of course. They're going to immediately think there's just something dodgy going and, and on. And you're going to feel lost and kind of like, it's like taking your identity, isn't it? Taking your passport. That's your way of getting around and it's kind of your lifeline. And so obviously he's taken those away. Yeah, and, especially and when you're traveling. Absolutely. And, and they Dom- probably had no money at this stage either. No, nothing. They were literally at his, you know, just living at under his, mercy. his roof, at his mercy. And Dominique was still recovering from being poisoned, but he's now desperate to get out of this dangerous predicament. And Yannick and Jacques were still waiting for their new passports, as their last ones had obviously mysteriously vanished, stolen by Charles and, and hidden and locked away. Now, all of them realise they're in a really dire situation and they have been in danger from the moment that they've met Charles. Knowing they need to take advantage of Charles' temporary absence, they begin hatching a plan to escape before they lose their only chance that they have. It's time for them to get the heck out of there mm-hmm. and thank God they flee. So I think we're going to have to leave it there for this week because there is a lot more to this story, but we are going to see how Charles's crimes get worse and worse. His zigzagging across countries gets you know, more erratic all over the place and he he becomes even more dangerous than he already is and we'll see exactly how his evil plans all finally come to an end and that will be in next week's episode so we'll see you all then for part two absolutely and please don't forget to follow us on instagram our facebook page tiktok um and you can oh, oh twitter and you can also email us on dumplingthemom at gmail.com please do rate and review if you are enjoying what you're hearing we really appreciate all of that and obviously as we've said already yes. it really helps and it yes. really does so please if you are enjoying it please do that for us we'd really appreciate it yes we'll um, see you all next week guys Have yeah a week. Bye. see you all next week bye, bye.